can grab your Bibles and go to John chapter number one. John chapter number one. Are you glad to be in church this morning? Amen. Amen. John chapter one. I uh, got to talk with uh, uh, someone that had visited our church when I wasn't here. I said, well, I'm sorry I missed you. And she said, don't say sorry. I called to make sure you weren't here before I came. I said, oh, come on. Uh, but I said, I said, you'll fit in just fine around here. Everybody else picks on me mercilessly. So uh, John chapter one. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 42. John chapter 1, verse number 42. Now, I'm going to ask you guys to, to, uh, to pray. There's quite a few people that are not feeling so well under the weather. So uh, it's that time of year where the kids go back to school, and then they love to share all the love with all of us. So, uh, so uh, all I can tell you is uh, uh, do what you can to, to stay healthy and, and ask for God's blessing for that. But John chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 42. I like this verse. I like this thought. I just like how the whole verse starts off. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. That's good. I mean, if you're going to do anything for anybody, bring them to Jesus. All right. They don't need to be brought to the Democrat or the Republican Party or one candidate or the other candidate. They need to be brought to Jesus Christ. Uh, You're going to find out that you have your own personal ideas about things. And we all do, uh, whether it's politics or whatever's going on in the economy or whatever else. Uh, you'd be better off trying to bring people to Jesus Christ than to just your ideology. Uh, sometimes that can be a losing battle anyways. Do you know what I love about the gospel? Is it works for everybody. It doesn't matter your, your, your background or the, 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 the family you came from or your culture. Everybody is a sinner, amen? And so there, there's an even playing field there. So the Bible says, he brought him to Jesus, you say, who's this talking about? Andrew bringing Simon Peter uh, to Jesus, and we're gonna we're gonna learn obviously throughout the scriptures that Simon Peter becomes a, a very central figure uh, to New Testament Christianity, and we're gonna talk about him a little bit this morning. Uh, but it says here in verse forty two, "Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone." The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and Saith unto him, follow me. Uh, no, imagine someone finding you and saying, follow me. Right. I mean, you know, there may be a little pushback, maybe a little bit like, who do you think you are, right? Uh, and, and it's like, they know this man's different than anyone else that's ever asked them to be followed, right? So, so, so he says, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him. <laughs> of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, uh, this week, somebody was uh, uh, talking to me and kind of going, hey, you need to look at this different perspective, uh, look at this different religion, if you will, and, and don't be so closed-minded. And, 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 and listen, let me say this much. Um, for someone that, to get behind the pulpit and stand on the authority of the Bible, you need to understand this. I have looked at those other religions. There's a reason why I'm on this one, all right? Uh, because my Savior, my prophet, didn't stay in the ground, all right? My prophet... <laughs> said, I'm going to lay down my life, and three days later, I'm going to take it back, and no one takes it from me. I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself, and, and he did it, and, and, and so I'm sorry. It's not that I don't acknowledge the other religions, but I'm here to tell you that there, this one is different for a reason, all right? And, and so whenever we sing that song, hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. Isn't that a great song, by the way? Uh, when we sing that, you say, where does that come from? Verse 45, we have found him, <laughs> you know, and it shows you that, that, that people are generally looking for something. Let's give them Jesus, all right? We have found him. Uh, and then it says this, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, come and see. Let's ask for God's blessing on this Sunday school. Our Father, we do thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that we can open up the bread of life. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that comes through those doors that uh, doesn't truly know what it means to be saved, Lord, they've never been born again. Lord, I pray that uh, that you would show them, Lord, that their need for Jesus Christ, Lord, for those that are uh, that have recently gotten saved, Lord, and they're here this morning, Lord, would you confirm who you are in their lives through the Scriptures and. Lord, I pray for every believer in here, Lord, whether they've been saved for a week or, or 25 years or longer, Lord, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you would feed them. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would lead and guide us in all truth. It would not just be a man getting up and speaking, but Lord, truly, it would be the Holy Spirit of God speaking through me to your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So look, if you would, at verse number uh, 42, and it says, He brought him Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, let me, let me just, uh, before I get into the whole stone, rock, Peter thing, I'm going to do that here in a moment. Uh, before I do that, let me say this. Um, I, I want you to, to, to see something in verse 42 that I think can be lost. And, and, and what I think can be lost sometimes is this. Notice at the end of verse 42, thou shalt be called. Now, why does that matter? Because God sees what you can be, not necessarily looking at you where you're at right now. All right, oftentimes you get hung up on where you're at. And you don't, you don't consider that God is looking beyond where you're at. And he's going, yeah, but I can make you this. Thou shalt be called this. Uh, and, and let me just say like this. Where you're at today does not have to determine where you're at in 10 years if you're saved. Amen? God wants you to grow. The Lord wants you to be transformed. Look at uh, Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, you are not to be conformed, but you are to be transformed. All right? Look at Romans chapter 12. The Lord uh, wants you to not have the, the shape or the form or the visage or appearance. I could use all these synonyms of the world, but rather that you might be changed, all right? Every single day, if you're saved, every day that you live, something should be changing in your life. Now, now I don't mean that you have an unstable character, and, and one day you believe this doctrine, the next day you believe this doctrine, next day you believe it. I, that's unstable, and that's something that will hurt you and damage you spiritually. I'm not advocating that, but I do think this. You ought to wake up, look in the mirror, and say, Lord, what would you like me to change for you today? You know what? When you love someone, you'll do that. When you love your spouse, you know what you'll do? You go, oh, honey, you don't, you don't like it that way? Let me make it this way. Oh, you know, listen, my wife has a very particular way she likes eggs, all right? And I've learned this now that she's pregnant and wants food in the morning. I'm trying to help her out. Can someone give me a little bit of a pat on the back, something there, guys? I'm, I'm trying, okay? The eggs sometimes come out rubbery, and, 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 and you know, every time it happens, I'm like, oh, man, I missed the boat, you know? But I'm trying. But she likes it a certain way, so I, I, you know what I do? I don't just go, hey, be happy with it. You know, you know what I say? She goes, oh, honey, thank you so much, but they're a little bit hard. You know, I go, okay, how do you do it better? And then she tells me, I go, okay, I'll do that next time. And then I forget, you know, and I mess up again. But, but I'm trying to change for her. Now, that may be a, a silly illustration, but you ought to do that for Jesus Christ if you're saved. Lord, if, if this doesn't please you, Lord, I want to be different tomorrow than I am today. All right, now look at Romans 12. Look at verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't take on the shape of the world. That's what conform means. But be transformed. In other words, let God change your shape. And I don't mean physically, all right? Don't, that's not where I'm going this morning. I mean spiritually. Let God take you and go, hey, we need to let go of that bitterness. Hey, that anger that you're holding on to, that needs to go. Hey, hey, that, you, you, you know, you, you keep singing about joy at church, but they need to see it beyond those four walls. You know what I'm talking about, right? Don't you? Uh, that, you know, that, that covetousness, you know, every time you drive by and see that thing, you go, how come I don't have that? I, I deserve that. They don't deserve that. All right. The Lord wants to transform you. Now, you know where that starts? Go back to John chapter one. I'll tell you where it starts. Someone has to bring you to Jesus. Now, now, let me say this. It's not just a matter of getting saved. It's a matter of being brought closer to him over and over and over. That's why Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's why Paul says God gave us pastors and teachers for the edifying of the body of Christ so that you can grow and you can be transformed. Now, he looks at Peter and he goes, hey, Pete, look, I know you don't know me, but I know you and I know what you can be. And Peter's looking at him going, man, you don't know who I am. What are you talking about? You go, I'm Cephas, and you call me a stone, all this kind of stuff. Look what it says here in verse 42. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. And it's almost like the Lord's calling him out going, I know exactly who you are. Now, do you know why he says son of Jonah? Because that's his identity. It would be like the Lord coming to you going, hey, you're Sean, you're an accountant, right? Right? 
hey, you're Ben, you're driving a cement truck for at least another week, or is that, no, done, done, all right, back to the other one, okay, got it, amen, all right, trash, aren't you glad for people that pick up trash, I am, hallelujah, when they're late, man, you know it, you can smell it, amen, uh, so, but you understand what I'm saying, the Lord was calling him out, and he's going, hey, I know who you are, so let me ask you, what do you identify with, first and foremost, and it doesn't mean it's all bad. It may be your family, maybe your culture, maybe your job, maybe your whatever. But the Lord's going to call you out and go, I know exactly who you are. You know what he does one time? Uh, he, he deals with uh, Jacob, and he wrestles with him. He says, what's your name? He says, your name's no longer going to be called Jacob. You know what Jacob means? A liar, a deceiver, a manipulator, a supplanter. He says, your name is now going to be Israel, because as a prince, thou hast found favor with God. Now, 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 think about that. You know, those name changes in the Bible, they're actually significant, right? Sarai becomes Sarah, you know, Abram becomes Abraham, and all these different names. Jacob becomes Israel, all right? Uh, when you see, by the way, when you're reading your Old Testament about prophecy, uh, for example, over there in Jeremiah 30, uh, it talks about the Great Tribulation, and it calls it the time of Jacob's trouble, that's not a reference to a man. That man was dead long gone when that was written there in the book of Jeremiah. It's talking about the nation of Israel. Those names are interchangeable. But God says to Jacob, your name's no longer going to be called this. Hey, you know what? Maybe you were a drunkard before you knew me, but now you're my child. Hey, hey maybe you were a fornicator before you knew me, but now you're my child. Hey, hey maybe you were a, a, an abuser of substances before you knew me, but now you're my child. I'm going to change your identity as long as you let me. Now think about this. The Lord tells him, thou shalt be called, but it's still incumbent upon Peter to follow the Lord so that that can become fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, the Lord has a desire for what he wants you to be and what he wants your life to look like and, and what he wants your habits to change towards and, and your identity. All Really what it is, it's a change of identity. God wants that for you, but you still have to follow him. Now, now when, when the Lord is talking to Peter about this, it's interesting. He says, uh, thou art Simon, I know who you are, thou shalt be called. I know who you can be. Now, when he does that, he brings up a, a word, and the name here is Cephas. And I want to go through this real quickly. Um, now, listen, uh, anybody here raised Roman Catholic? I was. All right, now, it's not a, a throwing stones time or anything like that. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You could be a saved Catholic and a lost Baptist, Okay. So what I'm about to say has nothing to do about, you know, denominational, you know, if you're, if you're a Baptist, you know, you're one of the good people, and if you're a Catholic, you're one of the best. Some of the best people in the world I know are Roman Catholics, so I'm not speaking ill of them, but I do want to point out something that was false about how I was, what I understood about who Peter was from the Roman Catholic Church. They claim that Peter's the first pope. Now, let me just say this. If he was, do you guys know he had a mother-in-law? You read about that over in Mark chapter 2? That would be a weird thing for a pope to have. Because if you have a mother-in-law, does that not mean you're married? Okay, so there's one thing that's kind of interesting about that. The second thing is this. They say, look at Matthew 16. Let me show you the verse where this kind of gets convoluted a little bit. Uh, Notice he brings up the name Cephas here. And that is an Aramaic word, not a Greek word. Petros would be the Greek name for Peter. But look at uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And uh, I want to I point something out to you. Look, if you would, at uh, verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a ding, 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 right answer, right? That's it. You got it, Pete. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjo. Now, the, now the, that, that, that's kind of like a, a prefix. When you see, for example, bar, that's a... Hebrew thing there, Bar Jonah, all right, what that means is son of. You know what's really interesting? You know the guy that, that the, the, the crowds were shouting for to be released over there at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Barabbas, remember that guy's name? You know what, what's really cool about that? This is wild, man. Check this out, okay? So, all right, contrary to popular opinion, Abba was a name in the Bible before it was ever a 70s Swedish rock group, okay? All right? So what, what this means is it's like a term of endearment. It's like saying daddy or father. So you know who Barabbas was? He was the son of the father. You say, what does that mean? Well, you know what you deserved? You deserve to die for your sins. 
but you got to go free. And Jesus took your place. And you became what? The son of the father. You were a wayward child, and you know what God did? God stepped in your place. That's a blessing. <laughs> now, now, when he says Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonah, he basically, he's identifying him one, once again. And you'll notice this, by the way. Uh, sometimes you'll see in the New Testament is Jonas. In the Old Testament, Jonah. Don't let that trip you up. All that is is transliterating from Greek in this case and from Hebrew in the English in this case. That's all that is. All right. People get real hung up on, you know, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, all that kind of stuff. And, and let me just say this much about that. When you start digging into the, 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 those original languages, you find out things like Hebrew has consonants and then they have vowel points on top of their letters. And half the people that think they're saying it the right way aren't saying it the right way anyways. And here's the deal. If the name, if the name that was supposed to be given under, men, uh, under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved, is the name of Jesus, according to Acts chapter 4, then why are you worrying about all that stuff anyways? Why do you get so hung up on all that? You know what that is? That's someone trying to have a superiority complex over someone else. All right, now, I've run into that with Jehovah's Witnesses. You need to say Jehovah. Well, here's the thing. Over there in Isaiah 44, I might be losing something, and I'm sorry, but in, over there in Isaiah 44, uh, it says uh, about the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which the King James translators wrote out that way when they came across the name Jehovah in the Old Testament, Lord, that beside him there is no Savior. And then it says in Acts 4 that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know what that tells me? Jesus is Jehovah. <laughs> He's just Jehovah in the flesh. So why people get so hung up on that is just kind of silly. But I, I do want to show you this. Uh, God, the Lord is calling out Peter. He's letting him know, look, I know exactly who you are. But well, watch what happens in verse number uh, 17, verse uh, 18. Now, in verse 17, tells him, flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, right? But my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, comma, and upon this rock I will build my church. Semicolon. Now, you, you may go, why are you pointing out the punctuation? I, just bear with me. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's that verse, verse 18, is one of the mi most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Now, the reason why is because people read it, and they read it real fast. And uh, the, the, the Catholic explanation for this is this, that Peter is the rock, and the church is built on Peter. Now, let me give you a couple things to consider. Number one, um, Jesus Christ is the rock, not Peter. I'm going to show you plenty of verses on that, but, but let, me, let me show you this much real quickly, all right? Um, let me give you just a little bit of grammar. Thou art David, and upon this rock. This makes absolutely no sense for me to say, thou art? You know what I would say? I would say, that rock. Think about it. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. When he's, he's pointing back now, look, I'm sorry, there's no thumb emoji in the Bible to point you back to Jesus, all right? But what he's saying is, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I'll, I'll prove that to you in a little bit. The other part that's really misunderstood about this verse, I don't have time to go into all the way, is where it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, for years, people taught the it is the church. Let me ask you a question. Are you, are you saved this? If you're saved this morning, raise your hand. Do you have any danger or threat of going to hell? Then why would it say that, that the gates of hell won't prevail against you? You're never going to hell. But I know someone that actually went there. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you know who went there? Jesus Christ did. All right? The Bible says that he that... Go to Ephesians 4. And Brother Sean, if you could find the verse, it says that he that ascended uh, uh, was also he that first descended first in the lower parts of the earth. Do you find that? And read that nice and loud for us when you get there. All right? As he's turning there... Uh, Jesus Christ died and was buried. Now, what happened to him for three days and three nights? What did he do? All right, verse 10. Brother Sean, can you read that real loud? He that descended and also that ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. All right, so you know what it says? It says he descended. Well, what, what does that mean, he descended? Where did he go? Well, the Bible says over there in uh, 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 Peter, that he preached, or in Hebrews, that he preached to the spirits that were in prison. Well, what does that mean? Well, back in the Old Testament, what you had is you had two compartments in the lower parts of the earth. You had hell on one side, and you had Abraham's bosom on the other. Now, you may go, I don't know what you're talking about. Over there in Luke 16, the rich man dies and lifts up his eyes in hell, 
and he looks across, and there's a great gulf fixed between the two. And he says over there, Father Abraham, dip uh, Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. Right? And you know what Abraham says? I can't come to you. There's a great gulf fixed. Uh, and, and he says, you know what? You can't come to me. I can't come to you. Now, now, that's Old Testament. You may not realize it, but that's in Luke chapter 16. Well, that's before the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died and he was buried, he went down and he preached to those spirits that were in prison. And you know what he did? He came up and he led captivity captive, which is what it says there in that chapter. All right. Now, over in the Old Testament, you say, why did they go to Abraham's bosom if they were a saint? Well, the reason for that was, is the blood from a perfect sacrifice hadn't been shed yet. And then once that's done, you have direct access. That's why when you die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Amen? All right? So you don't have to go here. You go straight up. All right? You know who, led, you know who allowed that? Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the first fruits of the resurrection. All right? So wh- why am I going through all this? Well, there's a lot of misinterpretation to Matthew 16, 18. One, they make the it, the, the, the church, instead of the it, the rock. The it is the reference to the rock. The gates of hell would not prevail against Jesus Christ because he went down there, preached there, and came up. They could not hold him down. Amen? Amen. So, so that's what it's talking about. And furthermore, when it says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, it's not a matter of Peter being the rock on which the church is built. Uh, let me prove it to you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll just go through a little bit of scripture on that subject. Now, now listen... Um, you're, you're gonna, some of you might be like myself, and you might have family that uh, comes from that same background. Uh, I don't think you have to kick down the door talking about Peter and all that kind of stuff. I think more times than not, if you have family that's uh, religious, regardless of what religion it is, but they're lost, you need to deal with them about the gospel, all right? But when they start asking you questions, you need to have answers. When they start asking questions about Peter, and they ask questions about Mary, and they it was she sinless, and is she the mediatrix, and is she not? And you need to know that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. And you need to know where those scriptures are at. So uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, this is why this is called Sunday school, all right? Because you're supposed to learn the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't mean to be uh, mean when I say this, but I, I get invitations for churches in my mailbox sometimes. And I'll be honest with you, it kind of aggravates me a little bit when they're, you know, spending a, a whole series on Jurassic Park, you know, or a whole series on, you know, Back to the Future and taking clips from the movies and, and breaking the mo- You don't need to learn a movie. You already know too many movies. You need to learn your Bible. <laughs> now, they may say, well, we're going to try to get in the Bible. Why don't we just start in the Bible and stay in the Bible? It might be good for you. Now, look at First Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, look at uh, verse number... Uh, one, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers, this is Paul, uh, speaking from a Jewish background, being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, those are his words, not mine, over there in Philippians, all right? And, and he's talking about our fathers, in reference to the Jewish forefathers, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Mo- Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Somehow passing through the Red Sea is what he's discussing historically. And then when they went into the wilderness, look what he says. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual what? Capital R in your Bible? All right. That followed them, and that rock was Peter. (laughs) That's not Peter, is it? All right. Uh, Because it's not. Now, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, Old Testament, fifth book in your Bible. Deuteronomy... Uh, kind of a big name, but all it means is uh, do, like uh, dos in Espanol, or du in French, right? Uh, uh, Deuteronomy is the second telling or the retelling of the giving of the law. So when you get to Deuteronomy, you're like, man, I feel like I've read some of this before. It's because you have, all right? It was God's way of saying, hey, I want to make sure you guys get it. Because a hundred years from now, when you're off into apostasy, I don't want you going, God didn't tell us. I want you to have it in writing twice, right? So that's what the Lord does in Deuteronomy. But look at Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, toward the end of the book. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 15. Deuteronomy 32, verse number 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art, I'm not going to go through all the history that's going on here. But I'm going I'm to point something out here in just a moment that's really important. 
Thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him. In other words, uh, you read it so good that you turn on God. You, you forgot who brought you to the dance, right? And, and do, don't we do that sometimes as New Testament believers as well? God blesses and God takes care of things and things are good. And because things are good, I don't seek him as much. I don't need him as much. And I kind of turn my back on him slowly, but surely. And then I'm in trouble again. I'm like, God, I'm, what happened? The Lord's like, I just, you were doing your own thing and you didn't seem like you needed me. So here I am, right? That's what he's telling Israel in the Old Testament. Now, now look what it says here. They lightly esteemed the what? The rock. Lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation, now, now uh, uh, and, and, and further on, look at verse 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmi- unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. It's very clear that the rock is God. Are we clear about that? So if the rock is God, and then in the New Testament, we learn that the rock is Jesus Christ. Does that not remind us once more that Jesus is God? All right. And, and, and so, again, the rock is not any other man. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Those that are in discipleship class, uh, we will be going to this passage, maybe uh, hanging out there quite a bit today after the morning service, uh, going through learning about the, the, the judgments in the Bible. And this is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you're saved, you will not have to be judged for your sins at the great white throne judgment. Thank God for that. All right. Now, you will be judged for the opportunities that God gives you and how you serve him. All right. Uh, and so look at First Corinthians chapter 3, and as Paul is describing uh, this, uh, this judgment and the rewards that can be gained there, uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the judgment seat of Christ, the, uh, the day of Christ, it's called in another passage, for the day shall declare it. And if you want, by the way, if you're taking notes in your Bible and you want to underline the day, and maybe write in the margin of your Bible, Day of Christ. Uh, not a bad idea, that's what that is. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. What's the it? It's your work. It's the labor you did for God. All right, now, now since you got saved, think about all the seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years that have passed. How much of that is spent serving God? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be at church seven days a week. That's not what that means. That means that when you're driving down the road, instead of listening to stuff that's going to get in your mind and mess you up, turn it off and talk to God for a little bit. That means that when the Lord gives you an opportunity at work to stand up and be a testimony for Jesus Christ, take that opportunity. Uh, it's, it's the opportunities that God gives you and what you're doing with them that determines what kind of rewards you get at the judgment seat of Christ. It says, it shall be revealed by fire, your works, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Built on what? What is, what is it that you're building on? Well, we'll go back to verse number 11. Here's what you're building on. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Simon Peter. Is that what it says? It says Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he is the chief, listen to me, the chief cornerstone is one of the other descriptors of who the Lord is. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. How fitting is it that the person that people say is the rock turns around and says, I'm not the rock, he's the rock. <laughs> Let me show you. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, you know what Peter is? He's a stone. He is. He's someone that... Now, I'm going to show you something about the, uh, uh, the apostles that uh, is, is a, a better title than calling Peter the rock. Uh, you can say Peter's a pillar. Uh, and I'll show you how that, that's used in your Bible. I would say this. In, in our church, we've got some pillars. There are some people that hold this place up. I know I don't do it alone. There's a lot of people serving in this place. Uh, listen, you want to see uh, our church fold real fast? Tell everybody there's no nursery ever again because pastor was watching the kids, and the kids hated them, and they never wanted to watch it, and, and, and nobody else wanted to volunteer, and there we fold right there. You say, why? You need a nursery, man. And you don't want me back there watching the kids, all right? I mean, I don't know. I'd enjoy myself, but I don't think they would. <laughs> so, so everyone does something here. There are pillars in this church, uh, but, but ultimately, listen to me, at the same time, understand this. The foundation of this church is not Pastor Dominguez. It's Jesus Christ. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse 
uh, number five. Ye, that's, 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 a, that's a, a, a old English way of saying you. <laughs> or if you're from the south, y'all or youans, all right? Uh, but it means all of you. By the way, when you're reading your King James Bible and it says thou, that's you personally. That's me talking to Steon, right? But if I say ye, I'm talking to the whole congregation. Does that make sense? All right, so Peter's talking to believers, and he says this in, in, in verse number five, ye also as lively stones. Uh, you guys might remember that uh, over there, the, uh, uh, when Jesus Christ is coming down that, that pathway, and they're throwing down the palm leaves, and they're saying, Hosanna, and they're giving him praise, and all of a sudden they're going, hey, tell them to stop worshiping you. And Jesus says, look, if they don't do it, the rocks would cry out. Remember that? All right, so, so he says, you are lively stones. Lively stones. Now, you know what that means? You are an inanimate, uh, uh, think of it this way. The Bible says before you're saved, your spirit is dead. Remember that? Ephesians chapter 2. Ye also who are dead in trespasses and sins, that's your spirit. That's not your body or else you'd be physically dead. It's not your soul or else you'd be in the lake of fire. So when he says ye were dead, that's spiritually speaking, your spirit. All right? So, so after you get saved, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and now you're alive again. You are regenerated. You are given new life. You are a lively stone. Now, you may think, what can God do with a rock? He can do a lot. He can kill a giant. Are you, are you listening? You may think your life's uh, not, not worth a whole lot for the Lord, but he can do a whole lot with it if you allow him to. He says, he also has lively stones, are, watch it, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, while Peter is saying all this, he goes, look, we're all lively stones, but look at verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone. Who is this? Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Clearly, this is a reference. Look at verse 7. Look at verse number 8. It's clear that this is a reference to Jesus Christ. All right? So Jesus is the rock. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the stone of stumbling as is referenced in verse number eight. You say, who's Peter? Uh, well, Peter's a stone just like you are. You're a lively stone. And that's what God says about you. But let me, let me show you one other thing about Peter. Look at Galatians uh, chapter number two. Galatians chapter two. Have you guys ever watched, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I know sometimes people might think, especially if you're visiting, you might not know me, and you might think that I'm just picking on another person's religion, uh, but, but this is important, it's important to get a hold of what is truth and what is error. All right, now let me say this, it's important to do that, whether it's about Baptist doctrine or Roman Catholic doctrine. I, I could point out some things that Baptists have gotten wrong for a very long time, uh, and, and I'll, I'll give you one right now, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Boy, that one's an interesting one. For years, it was taught that that's the Holy Spirit. I, I would contend, and that's, not a, that's a lesson for another day, but I can tell you this much, the Holy Spirit's nowhere else in that passage, right. nowhere in the context at all. Uh, it made sense for a long time to teach that, but I don't know that that's necessarily correct. So you know what we had to learn to do? Leave our prejudices at the door and just go, okay, Lord, teach me. Amen. What's right and what's wrong? Now, uh, look at Galatians chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse uh, number... Eight. Now, I'll go back to verse 7. But contrary-wise, now, let me just stop. Who's writing Galatians? Who knows? Paul. Okay. So Paul's writing it, and he's going to talk about someone else that he knows called Peter. But contrary-wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that's the taking of the gospel to the Gentiles, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision, the, the taking the gospel to the Jews, was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Now watch this. And when James, now look at the name he's about to use. Where'd that come from? The Lord said, this is your name. <laughs> and so he says, when James, Cephas, who's Peter, he just mentioned him earlier, and John, who seemed to be what? Okay. So it would, be, it would be fair to say of Peter, he was a pillar in the early church. But to say that he is the rock of the early church is a false statement. The rock is none other than Jesus Christ himself. All right? and, and to give that title to, to someone else is, is really, honestly, it's blasphemy is what it is. Uh, now go back to uh, John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. 
if I walked in here and I said, uh, now, uh, let me give you this one more thing while you turn there. Uh, you may remember the story. Over there in Acts chapter 10, there's a guy named uh, Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius gets saved. Now, you remember what happens? Uh, Cornelius falls down before Peter. You know what Peter tells him? Get up. Get up. Don't worship me. You know what he says? I also am a man as thou art. Have you ever watched certain religious figures and people fall down before them? And the religious figure doesn't say, get up. Now, you know what? If you want to follow Peter's example, you know what you'd say if someone starts falling down before you? No one's ever fallen down. Anyone's ever fallen down before me, they trip. They didn't fall on purpose. I can tell you that, right? But... But, but if someone did, I'd be like, man, get up. What are you doing? Th- th- I'm just a man like you are. That's what Peter does when someone does that to him. Now, uh, we're going to switch gears and talk about Philip a little bit. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, I want you to notice in verse number, uh, let's see here, verse 43. In verse number 43, I want you to notice that the Lord moves with intention. The Lord moves with intention. That's a challenge for us. Do we? Or are you just going through life? Like, is there any, are you going to find anything? Are you looking for something? You want to be looking for something and looking for people in particular to bring them to Jesus. Now, notice what's in verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and say to him, follow me. You know, that tells me the Lord doesn't do anything by accident. He was looking for someone. The Lord was on a mission. You say, what's his mission? Keep your hand here. Go back to Luke chapter 19. You know what the Lord's mission is? It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It hasn't changed. Now listen, when he first shows up, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and that message obviously changes. Uh, We're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom today. We're preaching the gospel of the grace of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, When he first shows up, he's preaching uh, uh, the Messiah is here, and the king is here, and the kingdom is coming, and you better repent, and all that's right in its time. All right, But, but, but I can tell you this much, his mission didn't change. His mission from the beginning was to do something that he still cares about 2,000 plus years later. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 19 and look at verse number uh, 9. And Jesus said to him, this day is salvation come to this house, talking about Zacchaeus, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 15. Go just a couple chapters to the left. Luke 15. You know what happens when you find what what you're looking for? There should be some rejoicing. There should be. Uh, Yesterday, I lost the keys to this, uh, my my 1972 C10 uh, Chevy pickup. Now, for those of you that think, man, you must be rolling the money, got an old truck. You haven't seen it if you think that, all right? It's got some work that needs to be done. I bought that thing for 750 bucks from a neighbor just down the street, it's probably worth a couple thousand now because of inflation or whatever else. But I bought that thing for a couple hundred bucks. And, and I'll tell you what, Brother Steele has been a real blessing trying to get this thing ready for fall fellowship. And we got it running, and I was all excited about it. And the other day, Brother Jose Granados was helping me at the house, moving some stuff and throwing some stuff away. And again, getting our property. There's a lot of work that goes into getting ready for fall fellowship and removing the dangerous obstacles from the property so no one gets hurt. And so we're doing all that and, and getting rid of stuff. And then I park the, the, the truck and he gives me the key. And I'm like, okay, I got the key and I'm going to put it in a safe place. <laughs> and here's the thing. I did. I did put it in a safe place. But I couldn't remember where it was. And uh, I, I mean, I turned the house upside down. I, I looked, and you ever done this? You look in the same drawer three times. You're like, okay, this time. Okay, this time, right? And I'm looking all, I can't find that thing. And, and yesterday I told my kids, kids, if anyone finds the keys, there'll be a great reward. And Ethan goes, this one, Dad? <laughs> Should have just asked him first, you know? I was very happy when I found those keys. I really was. I was very happy. A lot of rejoicing. You know what happened when you got saved? There was a lot of rejoicing when you got saved. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord rejoiced over that. And uh, you know what he's excited about? You know what interests him? And I don't mean this to be, uh, to be funny. He, he could care less about Adam Levine cheating on his wife. I know that sounds so, oh, oh, but that happened this week, and it's so important to pop culture it is. Are you guys really shocked that a guy that looks like that, sings that way, and, and all that stuff, that that guy cheats on his Are you really surprised about that? If you are, you need to get in your Bible more. You ought to be able to spot a guy like that and go, there's got, there's got to be stuff. You can't be around that kind of music and that lifestyle and not be thinking filthy. <laughs> I can tell right now you guys are not following what's going on here. Uh, they, they, 
There's a lot of chatter online these days about, you know, this person did this. And, and, and then people act surprised by it. It's like, are you kidding me? This is the loss. This is where we would all be without Jesus Christ, yeah. by the way. But, but, but what I'm getting at is this. Look, look, the Lord cares more about what's going on here and people getting saved than he does about what's going on in the news headlines. You know why? Because that's his mission. Let me ask you, what's yours? What's yours? I, I've, wa- I've watched Christians that talk about someone getting saved. They're like, oh, yeah, that's neat. And then if they talk about getting a new job, I, you gotta, I got this job and the benefits and the pay and the this and the that. And it's just, I'm not saying you should be excited about it, but why are you not as excited about someone getting saved? There's, there's a value system that's off. You know what matters to God? People getting saved. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Look at Luke 15. Lotus says here in verse number four, what man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, look at this. You know what that means? If he found it, that means there was intention. He went to look for it. Just like the Lord went to look for somebody when he found Philip. Now you may go, oh, it's just an action. It's just a-. No, it wasn't. The Lord knew what he was looking for. And there were some characteristic qualities in Philip that the Lord really wanted to use. And Philip was following the, 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 the light of God that he had in his life, Looks, listening to John the Baptist, uh, having a, a tender heart. He was doing what he knew to do. And when he was doing what he knew to do, God gave him more light and he met Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? If you are faithful to do what you're supposed to do, when you're at the stage of light that you're in as a believer, God will continue to open up other doors. And furthermore, let me say this, the Lord wants to find you. If you're lost, he wants to find you to save you. If you're saved, he wants to find you to keep you on track. (laughs) He's interested in you. I was talking to a a, a little child before church about something that they wanted to do and and asking advice. And and I I looked at this young lady, I said, you know what? God knows the number of hairs on your head. You know that? And God cares about the decisions you make in your life intimately. That's your God. That's your God. You know what? The world would like to act like he's not there. That's why. <laughs> because they're a little concerned that he's a little too concerned about what they're doing. Amen? Right. The Lord does care. Listen, when this, this man goes out and finds his sheep, look what it says here in verse 6. When he cometh home, he called together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. You know why I like to take picture when someone gets saved? I like to tell people, hey, this person got saved. Hey, pray for this person. They just got saved. I want to rejoice over that. Listen, when you buy a new car, you do that. Why would you do that about someone getting saved? <laughs> you understand that there's, there's, the, there's that intention that the Lord had. And let me show you something. Go back to John chapter 1. And immediately, the Lord showed that intention to Philip. And then Philip turns around and shows that same intention towards somebody else. That is the gift that keeps on giving. You know what I love doing? I love looking at this person's in church because this person invited them, and this person's in church because this person invited them, and this person invited them uh, after they got saved, and they got saved when they heard it from this person. That's awesome to watch. That's an amazing thing. Uh, Look at John chapter 1. Notice Philip has the same intention. Look at verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael. You know what happens? The Lord found Philip. Philip goes, I want to find somebody. Philip findeth Nathanael. And say to them, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. You know what he's doing? He's going, hey, come here. Here, fishy, 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 right? Come to me, uh, follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. All right? And so the Lord had intention with Philip. Philip also has intention in finding others. You know what that is? That's what you're supposed to do. That's called discipleship. That's called growing as a believer. Let me, let me tell you this. The Christian life gets, this is not good grammar at all, it gets gooder, okay? It gets gooder when you start, I think the other day, I think Ethan used that word, that's why it's in my mind. And Emma goes, it's better, Ethan. He goes, eh, eh, eh. I like gooder, you know? Uh, it, it gets gooder when you start realizing that there's a whole world out there that needs what you have. When you get serious about that, it gets a whole lot better. When you realize, and I mean this sincerely, I don't mean this to sound offensive, when you realize it's not all about you, it's not all about who shook your hand when you came to church. It's not all about who said, jokingly, we were talking about this the other day, someone sat in your seat, right? That's a funny, that, it, that was funny. But, but seriously, all joking aside, if you come to church and someone sits in your seat, don't actually get upset, and they did, and they're laughing about it, but don't do that. You know why? Because it's not all about you. I cannot imagine a first-time visitor going up to them and going, hey man, that's my spot. 
you know, like the Christian life is not supposed to be all about you. It's about Jesus Christ first and others after that. <laughs> and so Philip finds this right away. He goes, man, the Lord did this for me. I want to pass it on. You know what that is? That's called following Jesus Christ. That's called moving with intention. Now, there's some things about Philip that I think are really important to point out. Look at uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6 about Philip. Now, he's called. He has an interesting title that's given him later on in the book of Acts. But look at John chapter 6. If you're taking notes, we're going to just take a moment to sidebar and learn about Philip for just a moment. What does the Bible say about Philip? Look at John 6 and verse number 5. John 6 and verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Let me ask you a question. Why does he ask Philip? I mean, why didn't he ask Peter? Why didn't he ask Ant? Why, why does he point the question to Philip? Now, I, don't, I can't prove this, but in the back of my mind, the, the, the first answer that I come up with is, Well, Philip, you're really good at finding things. Right? I mean, as soon as the Lord went to Philip, Philip turns around and goes to Nathaniel and finds him right away. And then there's a conversation that ensues between uh, the Lord Jesus and Nathaniel. So, so maybe that's what it is. I, I can't prove that, but maybe that's what it is. But ultimately, uh, look at what, uh, what it says here in verse number six. And this he said to prove him. Now, you know what the Lord does? He does something sometimes just to prove you. All right, now why? The Lord knew what he was going to do. All right. Now look at Philip's answer. Uh, 200 penny worth, verse 7, of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now, now I don't want to chastise Philip too heavily, but you know what Philip did in that story? You know what Philip did? He didn't do what he did back in John 1. He didn't just go, he didn't say, okay, Lord, if the Lord's asking, I'm going to go look. You know what he did? He said, how can this be done? Right. You know when the Lord asks you to do something, you know the worst thing you can do is just go, how can this be done? If he's asking you to do it, it can be done. Amen. The question is, Lord, how do you want me to do it? Now, Andrew won the battle on that day. Look at John chapter 12, though. There's some great things you can say about Philip. John chapter 12. Look at John 12, and look, if you would, at verse number 21. Now, let me say this. Uh, as you grow in the Lord, you know what people should be able to say about you? That, that you are someone that just seems like I could go talk to you. Now, don't come to church and sit in your chair and never say hi to anybody. That's a terrible thing to do. You know, you could do that at home on YouTube, right? I mean, really, sincerely, you could. Uh, I, I'm not talking to visitors. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and we don't expect you to go up and talk to everybody. It's our job to come to you. That's, that's not what I mean by that. But if you're a regular around here, you should be in ministry mode. Let me go greet others. Let me go be invested. Because let me tell you what I learned about Philip. He kind of had the face of someone that you could talk to. You know how I know that? Look at John chapter 12. I've never seen Philip. Don't know what he looks like. Uh, but you know what I mean by that? When you walk by someone, if they don't make eye contact, that automatically tells you they don't want to talk. You get in an elevator and the phone comes out, that's their way of saying, don't talk to me. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> All right. Now, now, when you get in an elevator, someone will say, hey, good morning. How are you? Oh, how was your drive? Automatically, you know, man, this is someone that I may either be forced to talk with or I get to talk with, right? Uh, depending on the situation. Philip had that kind of uh, approachability. Look at John chapter 12 and verse number uh, 21. John chapter 12, verse number, uh, actually go back to verse 20. There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These were Greeks that were holding to the, uh, the Old Testament faith, if you will. They had become uh, uh, converted to Judaism, if you will, and to the law of Moses. And, and look what it says here in verse 21. The same that came therefore to Philip, which was Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. In other words, you look like someone that would want to take me to Jesus. Can the world say that about you? You just look like someone that want, would like to talk to me about Jesus. You just look like someone would like to give me some hope. I, I hope they could say that about us. Amen. That'd be a good challenge. Now, now look at John 14. Just some things about Philip real quickly. John 14. John 14. Look, if you would, at verse number 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father. Now, now in verse number 9, it's, it's one of the most uh, uh, critical verses in your New Testament uh, about the, uh, the unity of God the Father and God the Son. Uh, look at uh, verse number 9 at the end of the verse. He that hath seen me hath seen the father. 
That's an, that's an, an outstanding statement there and one that merits underlining and, and noting in your Bible for sure. But let me just say this much. It was Philip that asked the question. And so, so here's what I learned about Philip. Uh, Philip will bring others to Jesus Christ. He, he's approachable, all right? He's someone that the Lord tried to prove in his life. Uh, he's also someone that's willing to ask a question. You know what you ought to learn to do as a believer? Learn to ask questions. Uh, you don't grow without going, well, Lord, what about this? And Lord, what about that? And hey, preacher, I'm reading this in my Bible. I'm not sure about this. And that, that's the reason you've got that in your Bible is because Philip goes, Lord, would you show us the Father? And the Lord tells him, hey, you, I've been with you this whole time. And you get that great explanation of, of how they would see the Father through the Son on the earth. Look at Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and stop after this one. And uh, we'll pick it up next week. Look at Acts chapter 1. And let me just show you this much. Uh, Philip is in the list of the apostles after the resurrection. That's an important thing to note. Uh, look at Acts 1, verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, so on and so forth. What I want you to see there is this, is that Philip was accounted for in the group of the apostles after the resurrection, which means he would be one of those that would have the apostolic signs. Matter of fact, he experiences a miracle that I'll show you next week that's a pretty interesting one that reminds us yet again of how God would use Philip to reach lost people. And uh, I believe that's why he's given the title, as we'll see next week, Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. All right, let's go ahead and stop right there. And uh, we got uh, through a couple of verses this morning. And We'll hope to get through a couple more next uh, Sunday mo- uh, next Sunday for Sunday school. Let's, uh, let's all stand. We'll be dismissing a word of prayer, and we'll take about a 10-minute break and come back together. And uh, got a, a message that I hope will be a blessing to you about learning to stand still. Learning to stand still. We have a hard time with that sometimes as Americans. We're busy, and I think sometimes the Lord just wants us to be still. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Brother Steon, if you would, brother. Amen. Amen. We'll take a break right there.